The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Do you like pina coladas getting caught in the rain? Do you know the muffin man who lives on Drury Lane? It's fun that we're in our listeners' lives for a long enough time that we can see how many events are happening to them over the years and we're just still here doing the same old shit. Yeah, you may not realise it, but this whole project was set up actually not as a podcast, but as a, a developmental psychological exercise to see how you change over the years. It's not about us, it's about you. It's, it's like, like seven up, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Or boyhood. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very pleased to receive the following email from Andrew in Melbourne. Uh-huh. He says... In Answer Me This, 360 and 361, which came out in 2018? I believe it. I think uh, he says, You answered my questions regarding living in my grandpa's empty house and whether my mother's old doll collection therein was creepy. I do remember that, Andrew, yes. Unforgettable doll collection. Unforgettable, Um, (laughs) that's what his dolls were. (laughs) While your answers were much appreciated... As it turned out, I never put your advice into practice because soon afterwards I got a job and was able to move into a place that wasn't cold, damp or full of sinister dolls. That's probably best, isn't it? (laughs) It sounds like a place that's not cold, damp or full of sinister dolls would have a lot going for it. Yeah, I mean, actually, everyone listening to this, I think that's a useful rubric in life. Just think. Do you live in a house that's cold, damp, and full of sinister dolls? No, then you're winning. Well, my parents are listening to this thinking, well, yes, yes, but no dolls. (laughs) Just shitty clocks. (laughs) Do you not have any dolls in your parents' house? They weren't a big doll family. We do have uh, sculptures. They're like expensive dolls made of bronze. Did you have a doll, a childhood doll? I had a plastic doll called Betty, which was weird because that's also my grandmother's name. Mm. And uh, Betty, I think, had been a cheap doll because one of her legs was a different colour to the other leg. Right, OK. Uh, she was all right. I wasn't that interested in dolls. I was more interested in animal-shaped toys. Fine, but what happened humanoids. to Betty? You don't know. We lost touch. She wasn't sinister, though. She Sounds pretty sinister. Like I mean... dolls are. That's why I don't like them. Anyway, Andrew says, my grandfather died in November last year at the age of 91. I'm sorry to hear it, Andrew, but 91, fair play. Good, good innings. It's been decided that some of grandpa's ashes should be scattered under a crepe myrtle tree in the front garden where my grandmother's ashes were scattered. (laughs) I sense a new dilemma coming. The problem is, Uh the house has been sold and rented out to new occupants. Mum has got a little ash scattering kit prepared, consisting of a small jar with some ashes in it and a spoon to dig a little hole to put them in. A spoon? I would have assumed shovel, wouldn't you? Or at least a a trowel. Because he also says she's got a small jar with some ashes in. Maybe it's not all of Grandpa. It's just the highlights. (laughs) It's her favourite bits. (laughs) Just some seasoning rather than the full meal. That would be good, wouldn't it? Like on Big Brother, here's your best bits. (laughs) (laughs) Just Grandpa's hands. He loved his hands. Um, However, says Andrew, we're struggling with how to do it. Mm. Ollie, answer me this. Do we tell the current occupants or do we try to do it without them noticing? Without you noticing, turning up the two of you with a jar full of ashes, digging a hole with a spoon and filling it in their garden. Who would notice that? Hey, <laughs> um, I suppose if it's the front garden as well, you don't have to go through the house or anything. That's you could claim, claim to be from the council. Sure. 
Just investigating a water pipe. Actually, he does say front garden. You're right. He does. Yeah. I hadn't noticed that detail. That does possibly change how I feel about this. Possibly. And if we go for the latter approach, trying to do it without them noticing, yeah. is it better just to sneak in or to knock on the door first to check if anyone's home? I would appreciate your thoughts on the best way to sneak into someone's front garden to scatter ashes without causing a scene. I think you have to start by asking why it is that you don't want to have the conversation about why you want to do this. Is it because you genuinely think that someone who in any case doesn't own the house, they're renting the house, Mm. would really say, oh, for generations your family owned it and your grandma's there... No, absolutely, you can't put a spoonful of ashes in our front garden. It's certainly an unorthodox request that you would think would give them enough pause that they wouldn't immediately just slam the door. Or is it that you just don't want to have that conversation? In which case, I think you know the answer to this in your heart, don't you? I sneak mean, in. No. Do you <laughs> oh. really think sneak in? Like, really? Well, if they're determined to put Grandpa here. No, no, no. But, okay. It's a multiple choice thing, isn't it? Or at least one thing leads to another, right? It's that thing of, you know, if you answer this, go to this. If Mm -hmm. you answer that, go to that. Right, right, right. Right? So, I mean, if if you knock on the door and you explain the situation and they turn out to be arseholes, then yes, Mm -hmm. sneak in and do it in the front garden anyway. But don't don't go with what is the emergency plan as your plan A. What if the people who live there are out? Can they then just go ahead and do it in your mind? Yes, unless they've got a ring doorbell and you've got identifying marks. When they check their video footage, they will not know what the hell that is. I think maybe put a note through their door and say you've done it, but that's really weird. Because then you take an agency away from them to say no, which they wouldn't. Like if someone knocked on my door and said, my grandmother lived here for 50 years and I'd like to be able to... It's a bit weird, actually. It is quite weird, weird, isn't it? I think some people, just the idea of death would be unpleasant to them and they would say no. I think that's the danger. I think maybe I've come around to your view of this, Ollie. Knock and ask. And then if they say no or they aren't in, subterfuge. Yeah, fine. Okay. But one thought I do have is that your family no longer owns this property. Mm. Therefore, it's not assured that the new owners won't just dig up the whole front garden, including the crepe myrtle and your grandparents' ashes. Would it therefore be maybe a more prudent idea to place grandpa somewhere that you do have access to and will have access to for a long time? rather than on someone else's private property. Well, this is why people do it in public spaces, isn't it? Because they think that's less likely to change. But ultimately, everything becomes a giant fucking Tesco or something, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, like, you can't really stop someone developing Mm. it in the future. And when people scatter ashes at sea, I mean, it's effectively... It's just symbolic, isn't it? It's a nice event for the people that are doing it, but you know it's about to get eaten by a fish, shat out, and, (laughs) you know, end up washed up on a beach. That's how I want to be remembered, (laughs) through fish shit. (laughs) Uh, Sarah uh, is from. Uh, she's from Minnesota. Um, she says, "I'm currently on a work trip to Toronto from Minnesota. I'm a nervous traveller when alone, and I'm away from my five-month-old son for the first time. Aww. She is going to be drinking and hopefully sleeping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm actually. I've taken a job next week." primarily because they would pay for a premiere in so I could be away from my five-month-old son for a night. Uh, In an attempt to combat my anxiety, I bought some banana muffins with chocolate chips. Lovely combination. And uh, Yes, isn't it? Uh, And ate one while sitting on the bed, which has very white sheets. You might guess where this is going. (laughs) A chocolate chip fell onto the bed and before I could retrieve it whole, it melted into the sheets. Uh, Familiar with this scenario. Now I'm afraid the housekeeper is going to think it's something other than chocolate, so Helen... Answer me this. Should I leave a note for the housekeeper letting them know that they need not fear, maybe with a tip, mm. or do I do nothing? What is the best way to handle this embarrassing situation? 
Do hotel staff care? The stuff they have seen. They see all sorts, don't they? I imagine anyone with any degree of experience in cleaning hotel rooms has learnt to tell the difference between chocolate and a dirty protest. Yes, but... The (laughs) The smell would be a giveaway. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. But the tip... I mean, yes, can't definitely hurt. give a tip. Exactly. <laughs> I think if it was one of your bodily excretions, mm. then they do kind of deserve a heads up in case it's somewhat dangerous to them. I mean, that must be so embarrassing. People actually have incontinence and can't control it, yes. don't know it's yeah, going to happen. It's difficult. Wake up and have shot the bed. That does happen to people. Well, I wonder you could, what they do do in that scenario. You, you could take the sheet off yourself and kind of roll it up so that the offending part is not on the outside. Yes. I think the amount of chocolate from a chocolate chip might barely even be visible to them. Well, this is it. Like, if they've got to do dozens of rooms mm. in a workday... They're not going to like come in and just scrutinise the room. They're like pulling those sheets off before they've even had a look. I stayed in a and b once on a farm with my now wife. Mm. And for some reason, we balanced some um, nail polish on the top of the bed. And uh, I see where this is going. Did a huge trajectory of red nail polish all down the centre of the bed and the bedstead. Yep, that's you had to not going to come out. That. That's yeah. indelible, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was, what was so embarrassing about it was... It didn't seem conceivable that you could accidentally knock it over so yeah. elaborately as to mark the bedstead, no. the head, the pillow, yep. the mattress, the sheet in red. I think they were in- like, Jackson Pollock stayed here. <laughs> it's, it's such a viscous liquid. I'm impressed that it managed to cover so much ground before you rescued it. Mm. Did it look like you had slaughtered something in there? No, it looked exactly like what it was. Oh. It looked like some dickhead had managed to spill an entire bottle of oh. nail varnish all over the bed. What did they say? Well, never mind what they say. What my girlfriend at the time said was... It was my fault because I knocked it off. I counted, it's your fault for leaving it open on a bedstead. <laughs> no? I mean, at least we take joint responsibility there. Yeah, I think that's her fault, actually, yeah. I would say. Like, if you do something where it's like, one of us is going to knock this off and it turns out to be the other person rather than you, then yeah. You yeah. Know, that's on that's on the person. That she does the same the thing with cups of coffee. She leaves cups mm. of coffee on the floor and then when I walk into them and knock them on the carpet, she shouts at me for damaging the carpet. Yeah. Get a table. I just remembered when we were doing uh, our tour through Minneapolis, we stayed in a hotel which had a sort of hunting scene fabric for the headboards. So there were like oh, yeah. lots of pictures of like people in hunting wear and dogs. I wish this had been me, <laughs> but someone else had got a pencil and drawn all over the fabric and just like written male next to every male figure, which was all of them. Wow. <laughs> male, male, male. So was it, like, it was some kind of protest against sexism and fabric design, right? Yeah, I think so. But I mean, bearing in mind the scene is a hunting scene, mm. I mean, were they protesting against the lack of females in hunting generally? Maybe they could have chosen a fabric that depicted a more pan-gender activity. Hello, this is Annie from Canada. So I worked for a few summer seasons as a guide in the Rocky Mountains. I would take guests on horseback through Jasper National Park. And now pretty early on, myself and the other guides that I worked with, we noticed that we'd get significantly higher tips from our guests when they saw wildlife on the trail. And now we can't guarantee that we see grizzlies or elk. They kind of do their own thing. Most of the time it's better if we don't see them because they charge the horses and make our lives a little bit more complicated. And now when we do see wildlife, the animal is often in the bushes, a little ways away, you know, easily mistaken for a rock or a stump. Uh, And honestly, most of the time, you kind of just pretend that you saw it. You say, yeah, it looked like a grizzly. Good job, guys. And so Helen, Ollie, and Martin the Soundman answer me this. 
would it be wrong if we were to hide cardboard cutouts of bears just a little ways off our trail so that people see them, think that they see a real bear, and give us a little more money at the end of the ride? You know, it's nice at this stage of the podcast, 13 years in, to get questions we've never had before. We've never <laughs> had that specific question about cardboard cutouts of bears. No. And it's we've had cardboard cutout of Kylie Minogue in Specsavers, but not yes. bears. Why don't you put some cardboard cutouts of Kylie <laughs> That's in the Canadian wilderness? Because then you're not actually stealing anything away from the real experience of seeing a bear in the wilderness. You know, if a bear pops up along the trail, people will be delighted as they would have been, but mm. they'll be equally delighted by the surprise of Kylie Minogue wearing a pair of Specsavers spec. <laughs> or, or a bear costume. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, could you get people to dress as bears and roam around? Is that morally better or worse? It's morally worse because on an ongoing basis you're paying someone presumably to be wearing that costume, whereas at least once mm-hmm. you've done the cardboard cutouts, it's done. And what if Annie had some sound effects that she triggered every so often of a bear growling? So she's like, oh, look out, look out. So she's not deceiving the eyes. She's mm. just hinting at the presence I mean, of a bear. What you're describing is Jungle Cruise at Disneyland. Am and I? that's fine <laughs> okay. because everyone knows it's not real. Yes. I do think it's... A, I mean, it's actually like legally fraud, I'm fairly sure, if you're charging tourists and then giving them an experience that isn't real. I mean, it's not mm. like a ghost tour where it's on like some grey area like oh we say there's ghosts there but you can't prove it and there either is or isn't a fucking bear there (laughs) if you say you will see a bear and then they think they've seen a bear and remunerate you for that i'm fairly sure you've committed a crime right isn't the problem here then tipping culture because if you go on one of these wildlife tours like martin and i have been on boat trips to spot whales Mm. and sometimes there aren't any Mm. because nature is unpredictable and you can't guarantee the presence of wildlife and that is not annie's fault or her colleague's fault true but they're only getting paid sufficiently if the wildlife's there and that's out Mm. of their control as well yes so isn't tipping culture the problem I think it would be fairer to charge people like 20% more in the ticket and then say it's a no-tipping experience. Mm. I mean, this is what is great about the Ngorogoro Crater in Tanzania, hmm. uh, which we'll is one from. of the places I went when I was uh, 19 and went to uh, East Africa because it's a natural phenomenon, a crater hole, mm. but because it exists, all of the nature that you want to see on a safari in Tanzania exists within that crater so if you descend into that in a jeep it's like going to a zoo it's basically like a natural zoo yeah. the animals can't get out the zebra can't get out and obviously the birds can but the zebra the elephants the lions they're, they're generations of their families have lived within this crater which is big enough for them to have a diverse ecosystem okay, wow. so it's small enough for you to drive around for an hour yeah well wow. it probably is but small enough for you to drive around an hour and genuinely be guaranteed that you will see something a lot of giraffes with six fingers down there yeah, yeah. but that is I mean that's what you want isn't it you want to find I did actually I went on a dolphin cruise in Florida and yeah. they, they did advertise this we guarantee you will see dolphins mm. yeah uh, and we did but then huh. maybe it is a case that you get your money back if you actually don't I mean they can't guarantee it can they there was a trip I saw when we were in uh, New Zealand there was a trip they offered which was an albatross experience oh yeah <laughs> which was apparently amazing everyone like reviewed pecking it. with albatrosses <laughs> it's, like, it's not the thing people want to see maybe they want to see seal, seals or sea lions uh, they want to go swimming with dolphins maybe they want to see whales but like who <laughs> who is trumpeting their albatross experience I suppose it's exotic thing. though isn't it so I, mean, I guess the equivalent <laughs> would be like a robin experience in the British countryside well, I don't know if I want to be up close to a bird that has like a six foot wingspan anyway despite never having been a dolphin person I was moved in some strange way yeah. I think it's because the, it was so clear that the dolphin wanted to be by the boat I suppose it makes them different to other animals isn't it mm. uh, they were playing they were in their wild habitat they wanted to come and see what we were doing they were chasing the boat and seeing us right. maybe they've been domesticated by tourists throwing them fish or something I don't know or tips yeah <laughs> They're in it for the cash as well. It's possible. I mean, in North America, I would not rule anything else. Maybe if you shake some coins near a bear, they'll uh, come and prance. 
I've got a question. Email your question. You can send me this podcast at Here's a question from Zoran, who says, I love figure skating. Who doesn't? And I love watching it in the Winter Olympics. Who doesn't? I mean, if you love figure skating, that's Great the best place to, to watch it. it. Yeah. Excellent. That being said, I've noticed over the years that the music the skaters do their routines to is often extremely boring or a bit cheesy. Um, I'm not sure Tchaikovsky would agree with you, <laughs> but fine. But it's often very tinny sounding pop because it's reverberating around a big ice rink. Isn't right. It? It's coming out of a stadium speaker. Yeah. That's not Gershwin's fault. They need to crank up the bass. <laughs> uh, get them to feel it through the rink. Um, Ollie, answer me this. Who chooses the dancing music? Are there requirements from the Olympics committee? Do songs ever get vetoed? Do the dancers ever insist on a certain song? Why don't they ever pick anything exciting and fun to dance to? Why not the Vengabus or something? <laughs> Can we just check the, if anyone has ever danced at the Winter Olympics to Vengabus? I, I know for a fact no one has. Oh, um, any Vengaboy songs? N- no. Not even Boom, 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 Boom? I'm afraid not. Oh. <laughs> but I disagree that they don't pick exciting and fun tracks I mean, I mean at the last Winter Olympic Games choices included Back in Black by ACDC Wow uh, Run the World Girls by Beyonce that's and uh, a big band jazz version of Wonderwall by Paul Anker I mean I know <laughs> I know that those tracks aren't like the most fun and exciting carnival songs but you know if you're thinking about figure yeah. skating which is as I say traditionally Tchaikovsky and Gershwin is, is yeah. that that is you know that's mixing it up isn't it yeah I was thinking ice dancing maybe there's a bit more variety because I guess you can interpret the music more in the dance, but yeah, figure skating is quite precise. It's actually more of a tradition in ice dancing. Mm. So uh, ice dancing has allowed music with lyrics. That's the issue here. So he's talking about classical uh, music. Right. Ice dancing has allowed music with lyrics since the late 1990s yeah. because of the popularity of things like Dancing on Ice would be the yeah. modern version, Disney on Ice, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So there was pressure to make it feel a bit more like that. Yeah. If um, you want people to carry on watching this sport, then you have to somewhat evolve yeah, and, the and, time several decades before, and and crucially, young people to want to do it as well. Mm. Um, if it feels more like pop dancing, then they're more likely to want to train to do it. Yeah. Um, so ice dancing's had that for a while. The change in figure skating, which now does allow music with lyrics, as I was suggesting, has mm. actually only—I mean—it's been really recent. So it was—it was at the last Winter Olympic Games because <gasps> oh, the wow. International Skating Union agreed to do it in 2014, but they said wait until after Sochi because uh, people had already prepared their routines and stuff. So they agreed it in 2014, and then it came into effect at the Winter Olympics of 2018. So the next Winter Olympics in 2022 will be only the second time people have been able to choose music with lyrics, and I think their choices will get more adventurous. That's so incredibly recent. Yeah. I wonder whether there are also restrictions about length, presumably. There are. And also uh, form. I mean, quite uh-huh. boring restrictions that wouldn't normally make their way into an entertainment-based podcast, but they have been on the website. <laughs> Go on, um, I'm excited to know. So, for example, uh, all music used for competitive events must be played on high-quality electronic recorders, uh, e.g. MP3 player or similar computer or CD player, one or two of which shall be used during the competition. So you can't bring in a gramophone. Um, I'm, I'm you can't com- use a homemade song. It's got to be a commercially released track, oh, okay. and it's got so to be played through a quality thing. You can't play original music. I wonder why that is. Well, no, I think you could, but you'd have to have it recorded professionally. 
professionally. So okay. if, if your mate's in a band and you want to dance to their song, that's fine. But it needs to be a licensed track. It's going out all around the world right. on, on telly. You can't, mm. I suppose, because they would need the publishing and performance rights or something. I mean, I think the skating union just don't want to battle with PRS, do they? They've, no, got, they've got ice skating to worry about. Right. <laughs> it's just surprising to me because everyone's always moaning about what a bad format MP3 is. High quality enough, it seems. Right. You'd think nowadays they'd go AAC at least, wouldn't you? Give them a wav. Um, it's, it's the Olympics. <laughs> Also, uh, there is a code of ethics that the International Skating Union has generally about how you behave as an international sports person Uh in a family sport, etc. Which, as far as I I know, this hasn't been applied to music choices yet. Are they not all family sports? Yes, basically. (laughs) But that's why you don't swear when Mm -hmm. you're throwing a javelin, for example. They're not going to, like, allow ice skating to fuck the police or something like that. Zoran asks, you know, who chooses the track? As far as I can tell, I mean, obviously you might get some quite um, dominant coaches who insist on choosing the tracks. Generally, it's the dancers. They choose the track, the the figure skaters themselves. Um, And they seem to like Coldplay a lot. There was a lot of Coldplay at the last Olympics. Um, uh, But uh, the International Skating Union would be able to veto it if it was felt that it breached their code of ethics. So something with swearing in it, um, or something that they felt had a political message that was not aligned with the Olympics. They could, but haven't yet right. ever vetoed. Hmm. Um, what could go wrong, though, is that if you're felt to be dramatically out of line with the uh, reputation of the sport, is you could be deducted points on your performance, which any figure skating athlete would probably not want to take the chance of, of happening. So um, in the days before music with lyrics were allowed, mm. if you went ahead anyway and used music with lyrics, you were taking that risk. So um, in uh, 1988, the former world champion from Canada, Kurt Browning, uh, kept the word tequila in the otherwise instrumental song of the same name. Oh, the... He kept the tequila bit. Fun choice. And that had no points deducted because I guess that was deemed to be essentially an instrumental song. Yeah. Mm. Um, but No message, really. Yeah, indeed. Uh, but in 2011, the French skater Florent Amodio performed a Michael Jackson medley mm-hmm. brazenly with songs, lyrics, the whole bit, knowing that he would get an automatic deduction, but he was he wanted to make the point and fuck the skating union with their stupid rules. I suppose if you think, well, I'm unlikely to win against this competition anyway, so I'm going to use my platform to make a point. Yeah, and to, to be broadcast all around the world, being the first yeah. figure skater dancing to Michael Jackson. I mean, that's going to... I was about to say going to go viral, but in 2011, I'm not sure really it did, but, you know. Has anyone done one of these competitions to no music or is that not allowed that is very 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 much and i cannot emphasize this enough <laughs> helen very much not allowed whoa so when you go onto the international skating union's website and you look at the regulations around music the only underlined rule all programs must be skated to music what if it's four minutes 33 by john cage oh yeah someone should do that no i mean that person would be a wanker, wouldn't it? <laughs> that person, having spent 10 years training for this moment. But if you've got, like, a professional recording, someone doing, like, uh, I don't know, like, Frere Jacques, like, with an armpit fart noise. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. <sighs> that's why I want to hear. Although arguably brings the sport into disrepute, so they could still have that veto. But I guess if it's a really funny routine and you're good, then, I mean, they're not going to say that. That's I don't know why armpit fart noise is not considered a legitimate <laughs> instrument in the eyes of the Olympic Skating Committee. Here's a fact I didn't know, though. Figure skating mm. is the oldest sport in the Winter Olympic Games. Whoa! It has been there since 1908, the London Games. And I don't know. I, just, I obviously never thought about that because, like, why would you? But I yeah. guess I would have assumed throwing yourself down a hill on skis, that would have been the oldest one. Difficult in London. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> so when you say it's the oldest sport, does that mean they had other sports then that are no longer in the Winter Olympics? 
Oh, good point. Like yeah, because then all the other sports throwing. that happened, yeah, in 1908 would still be the, the equal sport. length oldest sport. Yeah, you're yeah. right. So what else did they do in the 1908 games that they don't do now? Yeah. Yeah. Build a snowman. Yeah. Wrestle the snowman. <laughs> what do I love so much about Tom Waits? Is it his gravelly voice or his gravelly face? Or the instruments he made from metal plates? And an anvil and a saucepan If you love him so much, then make a podcast about him I have Build a Squarespace site so you can tout him I did And one day there may be an award even your show can win It already did Fuck you both Our deep thanks to the deep pockets of Squarespace (laughs) for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This Especially as they sponsor the Super Bowl and uh, yeah, they don't need us. That might be considered a bigger deal than us. We're an optional add-on. Who's playing our halftime show? <laughs> uh, but um, they remain a superb product if you are in the market for designing yourself a brand new spanking website with lots of minimalist space and easy to use across mobile platforms. It's very easy to set up. You just uh, browse their award-winning design templates, and then you can start adding the features that you would like in your version. They've got like placeholder text, which I think throws some people. Mm. But that's just to show you how the thing works. That's right. You can take all that. Long or a MIPS amount. Yeah. Or you can keep it if you want. Sure. That'd be avant-garde. Also, conveniently, uh, you can set up a store on there with uh, ease. Ollie Mann has done that. Yes, the Answer Me This store, uh, available at answermethisstore.com. Imaginative address. like to browse whilst you listen, uh, is where you can buy our first 200 episodes and albums and, and our essentially pointless app that nonetheless still managed to shift at least 15 units a month. Yeah, well, there is the little bit of bonus content on there. Yeah. And I know that at least one essentially of you, Mark, pointless. listens yeah. to, Mark, I'm making it for you. <laughs> anyway, we're very grateful. Yeah. Uh, you can buy all our stuff from there. That is an example of a website that frankly doesn't look that amazing. And I say this with respect, <laughs> Squarespace. It doesn't look amazing because I only did that in like three hours. That's how easy it is to set up a website. So if you actually spend a couple of days properly designing a website, they really do look amazing. And it is just yeah. drag and drop, really easy to use. Well, my song, my song website looks pretty good. I don't think it took me more than yeah. three hours. Well, perhaps people can open that in a rival window, compare yeah. and contrast. What well, is it, songbysongpodcast.com? Songbysongpodcast.com. Yeah, and then you could compare it to theillusionist.org and vmipod.com. You could. I'm just saying you could. Um, <laughs> Are those Squarespace sites too? Yes, sir. Yeah. Modman.co.uk with two ends.co.uk also a Squarespace website. The range of websites you can do when you have an audio product like yeah. we do, yes, but amazing. also other yeah. things. So if you want to try it out, then go to squarespace.com slash answer. Play around during the two-week free trial if you create something you like and you want to keep it. Then use our code answer, answer. to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And buy some of our classic episodes to listen to whilst you're designing your website. Treat yourself. Yeah, need to put something in your ears. It's the perfect entertainment for when you're doing something visual and yeah. can't watch your YouTubes. That's right. Uh, Here's a question from Katie from Kingston in Canada. A few months ago, I was stopped on my way to class, she says, by some Mormon missionaries. And since my dad was going through a health crisis, which he's since recovered from... Glad to hear it. uh, I thought, what the hell, might as well explore religion. That's how they get you. (laughs) That is exactly how they get you. Uh, I met with them a few times, and whilst I decided the Church of the Latter-day Saints wasn't for me, I am now the proud-ish owner of of a copy of the Book of Mormon. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's not a rare thing, is it? I mean, they're happy to give them away, I understand. True, true. I currently use it to prop up a fan 
Uh, but that seems a bit disrespectful. To the book or the fan? <laughs> Both, potentially. Mm. Uh, I also want to get rid of it, she says. Mm-hmm. Normally, for books, I just donate them, but that seems strange for this particular book, like passing on the burden to someone else. That's an interesting thing to explore, isn't it? I mean, that's the case with encyclopedias, if that makes you feel any better. Encyclopedias are a nightmare for any charity shop or second-hand bookstore. Yeah, but Bibles aren't. I mean, there's always a market for them, surely. Right. yeah. Yeah, I don't think that is. What's no. the burden? Like someone who buys it from a charity shop. Someone is else, keen on reading it. Yeah, someone else might be genuinely interested in this document. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure I accept her terms here, but anyway, um, I don't want to just throw it away, she says. Again, the disrespect thing. And waste. Uh, and the only other suggestion I've gotten is from a very devout friend of another religion who offered to burn it for me. Mm, more disrespectful, I think, than propping up a fan. Uh, at this point, I'm tempted to make blackout poetry of it. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I think it's where you black out words, so the words that you can still see form a poem. I mean, I'd go further and say that's massively disrespectful. <laughs> well, you could do paper crafts with it, like you sometimes see on Instagram, someone's done an exquisite sculpture out of the pages of a book by folding them in a clever way. Right. Fine. Helen, answer me this. How do I properly get rid of a book of Mormon? I doubt the Mormons have an officially sanctioned line on that. I think I have a few religious books that are not religions that I uh, are affiliated with, but I just thought might be interesting and then probably never looked at. Uh, do you have a copy of the Bible? Like, is it on your reference shelf? I know you don't live anywhere permanent at the moment. but No, I think I just have dictionaries of the Bible, right. but not the Bible itself. I've got the, like, Oxford Classics edition <laughs> of the Bible, Old and New Testament. Never read it. Cliff notes. But, <laughs> but I just thought, that's a good book. I don't mean in the traditional sense. <laughs> I just mean it's a useful book to have in the house. Like a dictionary of thesaurus, it's just, like, part of the... Right, if you ever have to do a mock trial at home, yeah. you could uh, get people to do the oath. Or if you um, just quickly want to check. And I figure that if I ever need to know something that's in the Bible, I can probably look it up online. Do you have any family heirloom Bibles? Not in my family, mate. <laughs> no, really? So Because at some point then they have been destroyed or passed on? I think there was a big Bible at my parents, but I don't know if they kept it when they moved house and got rid of a lot of their books. They also got rid of the ones to do with yoga and tantra and a bunch of my dad's old spiritual and health fads so it may have gone with those but my first thought with this was to donate it to somewhere that has use for religious texts like a university or a school places that are studying religions okay because then they might have use for it you don't necessarily need any mormons in the town but but then you wouldn't feel compromised i see because it's an academic context that you're donating it yeah but my other options would be to sneak it in somewhere like a library or a, a cafe or a pub if they've got bookshelves, I think pop it in there, which is kind of passing the problem along. But I think other people whose eyes are light upon it and may want to read it or otherwise interact with it, it's, it's not necessarily a problem for them. This is Matt from Melbourne. Helen and Ollie answer me this. Um, what's up with that monk hairstyle where they like shave the top of their heads? Um, what's that about? Do people still do that? Um, and do you think that that'll ever be, like, a fashionable look? Taking his last question first, I think it could become a fashionable look because people are always looking for difficult and edgy hairstyles and there's not much that hasn't been done. If a woman did that, that would be edgy and, and new, wouldn't it? But you like, think... shaved off the middle part and yeah. left the long bits on the side. Yeah, I guess mm. Keith Flint is sort of shaved yes. across the middle and had two little mohawks. Or Terry Nutkins, you know, he never... <laughs> cut back on the on the hippie stuff but lost all the bit in the middle yeah. of the time right. yeah. but you know undercut used to be quite edgy but now they're very common and mullets those come in and go out pretty regularly so this seems like one of the last bastions of edgy hair and also you might think well people go bald on top and they don't necessarily want that because society has uh, trained them to think baldness is bad but 
they also did that with grey hair and grey hair is quite fashionable now, like dyed grey hair. So I reckon it could come in. Yeah, my 15-year-old neighbour's got metallic grey hair. Yeah. And who'd have thought 20 years ago that people would... I mean, it's quite a difficult uh, colour to maintain as well. Anyway, monk hair do definitely yeah. a talking point if you're not a monk. Yeah. If you are a monk, I'd imagine more of a talking point to not have the monk hair do. And well, that's the point, isn't it? I was interested to read that in 1972 there was a papal order abandoning the tonsure, which is what the, this is called. And it had been around for about 1,500 years before that. But um, basically since then... It's been on the way, and so you could do it, but they largely tend not to because the Pope was like, stop it. Some people speculate the Pope might have done it because he thought it was discouraging young men from becoming monks in such a hirsute time as the early 70s. Yes, very contrary to fashion then, wasn't it? Right, exactly. Yeah. I think there are still symbolic haircuts, and I think some monks just shave the whole lot, but the tonsure is... It's no longer such a popular monk style. But what what is the origin of it? Why had it right. been there for 1,500 well, years? Well, they're not really sure. And it caught on, it seems, in quite a, a narrow period of time. So it possibly was like a coordinated thing that monks were going to do. But straight off, it symbolises you are sacrificing vanity for religion. So you're renouncing worldly things. I suppose you're also making a pretty big declaration that you're one of the monks. Yes. You know, more than like wearing a lanyard or something. But that's so extreme compared to... I mean, because obviously, like Muslims and Jews, don't they? Don't they? The women cover their hair. Yeah. But to shave it all off, that or, feels like. I mean, it's a different way of, of it tackling off. with the same issue. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but it's it's going beyond concealing beauty and into making yourself conventionally unattractive. That's kind of what that is, isn't it? It's quite a yeah. statement. I think a lot of it is about making that statement, and also when hair was held to be sexual. It was refusing that sexuality and rejecting it. Also, I think often they got the tonsure to mark their entry into monkhood. And then if they didn't keep the tonsure, that was the equivalent of trying to abandon um, your monk status. And in a 1917 law, any tonsured monk who did not resume having a tonsure within a month of being warned about letting it grow out uh, lost their monkishness. There's some other theories as well that um, it came about to represent Christ's crown of thorns. Mm -hmm. So you've got that little strip of hair that looked like that. There's some speculation as well by historians that this hairstyle came about because people would shave slaves' heads. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a bit like kissing the feet of the prisoner type thing. Well, it's like declaring yourself as a slave of Christ. Oh, okay. um, Not not necessarily equal before God, but slave to God. Very much not equal. Yeah. But there's also... um, different styles of tonsures so some they would just shave the whole head some they would do that circular ring of hair around a bald spot and then there might have been one which was a celtic one which was like shaving a strip from ear to ear like a a, a bald band across your head or a triangle but they that was banned um because i think at the time and this is like seventh century yeah um they were like well if people are wearing their hair differently that indicates that the multiple religions got to stop it interesting hmm. martin young martin uh did every type of hairstyle didn't he did you ever shave completely um no i didn't i mean i certainly went down to like on the clippers where it's like number zero where i've seen like the photos and it's haunted me forever it's yeah. not great if you never went all the way down to the skin not like a full razor no no i had some friends to that and it didn't look great like i think you've got to have a lot of poise to co- carry that off I think of all the haircuts I had, the very, very short, like, number zero cut was the one that my parents 
disliked most mm. because it reminded them of like Belson and stuff like that. Mm. They had these very negative associations mm. of what I thought was like, hey, I'm doing kind of a cool, like slightly clubby cut. And yeah. they were just like, you're reminding us of war crime. Yeah, basically. If you don't even know what a question is, then you're probably at the wrong place. Because religion's on Godcasts, dogs are on Dogcasts, fish are on Rodcasts, but we don't do fish. Because on this podcast, you answer me this. Time for a question from Katie in Portland, Oregon, who says, I have a friend who recently started seeing a life coach. Mm -hmm. This friend does not have a lot of money and often isn't able to go out with friends as a result, but has confided that she's paying her life coach $1,000 a month. (gasps) I looked up the life coach and she's essentially a really pretty influencer posting selfies and vague uplifting messages on Instagram and her blog with seemingly no qualifications. You're shitting me. There isn't a degree in life coaching. Uh, <laughs> well... <laughs> yet, she's actually managed to convince my friend that $1,000 a month isn't enough for her services, and my friend feels bad she's not paying more. Hmm. Now, in addition to the life coach, my friend has also signed up for classes with a business coach. Again, just a pretty Instagram influencer with seemingly no qualifications who just posts selfies and shares how she earns 50 grand a month from her clients. By charging them $1,000 a month for life coaching and have 50 clients. That's it. Ingenious. Uh, my friend is now emulating these women on Instagram and has started calling herself a coach. I was worried about this. It's like people who end up working in recruitment, isn't it? Did they just start by wanting a job? Kind of multi-level marketing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I worry she's being scammed and is essentially scamming others by marketing herself as a coach now, but I know she doesn't see it that way, and I'm not sure it's my place to say anything, so I've written to a podcast to say it to lots of people. (laughs) (laughs) Helen, answer me this. Uh, Should I share my concerns with my friend? How can I do so in a supportive way without making it seem like I'm attacking her interests, ambitions, and life choices? Well... I suppose by asking her about her interests, ambitions and life choices, rather than just going straight in with, you're being scammed, why are you doing this? Yeah, because she's in this position yeah. because people weren't listening. Right. Why is she, she had to pay someone to listen. Coach. Yeah. A thread came up in a Facebook group I'm in the other day, which was talking about life coaches. And someone was saying, well, I'm an accredited life coach, but I would suggest to most people that they go and see a therapist because that is more likely to clarify what you want out of life. Well, let's do the coach. textbook definition. What is a life coach then? Well, I mean, what do accredited life coaches say that a life coach is? Helping you make decisions about your your life, I guess, like particularly career, I would think, or living so, situation. So like a Mary Kondo-style declutterer guru, but for your brain yeah. and your social engagements. Yeah, or like mentoring. Yeah. But not necessarily Mentoring's just a for word. a particular job. Mentoring's a better word. Life coach is problematic because it suggests that the same person who can help you with your business diary can also help you with your relationships and, you know, your sexuality yeah, and whatever. where you live. And that's where it feels a bit like we were saying earlier with religions preying on vulnerable people, that there's something to be exploited there, that someone who's not in a good way will pay more and more. I've had periods in my life where I could have used the advice of a life coach because I didn't know what I was doing in my career or I couldn't, I didn't have any vision for it at all. Yeah. But would a life coach or a careers coach know more than me about this new area of podcasting? Probably not. Well, we've all had 
times where we just want a grown-up to tell us what to do. All the time! Because <laughs> that is what happens when you become the grown-up, is no. you realise, shit, I don't know what I'm doing. Damn it! And, and also then the grown-ups who were in your life as the grown-ups, like my parents, I wouldn't ask them now for useful advice. They become the ones that you're mentoring in some ways. Yeah, you're yeah. like, please just uh, dial that opinion back in, parent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems to me like the dawning realisation of most people in their 20s and into their 30s is that all the grown-ups around them didn't have a clue what they were doing either. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's just busking it. Right. Including the life coaches, probably. Well, this is it. But then but then with experience comes some knowledge. Hmm. You learn that too. Yeah. And I guess that's what you've previously thought was the natural wisdom of age. Yeah. You realise that's just... No, there's, some people have experience in certain fields. And, and also other people's problems are easier than your own. So other people... It's sort of clearer the decision-making than it may be to yourself. I mean, the point is, we all can understand that there's a need sometimes to seek yeah. advice. Yeah. And actually, I don't have a problem with... I mean, is it like many things in the 21st century which come down to basically sort of labelling. Mm. Uh, fine. Like, if someone wants to call themselves a life coach rather than a therapist, and if someone feels more comfortable seeing a life coach than a priest, fine. Like, if yeah. it's helping them, it's not a problem. I guess it's when you're talking these sums... There's a lot of jobs where you are that because you kind of self-declare as that or there is no official accreditation like what we do like we didn't have to go through any training to do it we just did it but i suppose the (laughs) difference totally set up an academy (laughs) (laughs) but i suppose the difference with life coaches and i was thinking like other things that you don't necessarily have to be qualified for like some alternative therapies you can just set yourself up and even counseling there's not a huge amount of qualification you need to get compared to other forms of Mm. treatment and i was thinking the difference with those is that someone really needs them to work and also the amounts of money you're talking about here are so significant Mm. but i mean i don't think that life coaching is a completely invalid idea and it seems like a really useful thing but how do you find one that is legit and apparently increasingly people are looking for life coaches who are members of a professional organization and people who've done these courses that are approved by an independent coaching body such as the coach federation or Global Coaching and Mentoring Alliance. But joining these organisations is not necessarily difficult and getting these qualifications is not necessarily difficult either. So the Life Coaching Diploma, or Level 3 Official Certification, is on sale for £129, including VAT. Um, (laughs) And it's just 36 hours of teaching that you have to complete within 12 months and it's basically self-guided learning. So it is kind of the thing that even if you're accredited sort of anyone can do it and there's no one yeah, checking that you're good at it. the price of like a weekly shop at a supermarket, isn't it? Right. You know, for a family of four. I, I, if I was a life coach selling business, I'd want to charge more for my life coach diploma just so that people believed it was worth more than that. <laughs> right, exactly. But it does show a certain level of effort. Like if someone hasn't even done that, maybe that person isn't taking those things that seriously, right? Well, what, what about this specific thing that Katie's referring mm. to here, which is, um, in this case, attractive younger women who use Instagram to get clients... Mm based on, I suppose, an aspirational look. You know, look at me, I'm having a great time, look at me at this party, look at me owning this room. Mm. Does that discredit those people from being able to offer good advice? And I suppose, actually, if your friend is now being able to emulate them and create her own business, actually, the answer is no, it doesn't, does it? I mean, you might not like it because you think it's not very clinical. But I mean, but yeah, but but it is a business, isn't it? Well, I suppose it's a pyramid scheme of scamming. Or they genuinely are having their best life. And, you know, they're they're people who are so excited to be at those networking events and sharing themselves in a, you know, black evening dress whilst they're giving a speech. This is the thing. Maybe it is working in some way for your friend. Yeah. And therefore, even if it doesn't seem like anything other than bullshit to you, perhaps 
there is enough in it to keep her going on it or she'll run out of money and stop doing it like my dad had a lot of weird fads a lot of which were quite expensive but then he couldn't afford to keep them going for more than a few months Mm. that said we're being diplomatic life coach is one of those phrases that immediately my bullshit detector goes off when someone i know says i'm seeing a life coach or i'm training to be a life coach Mm. And I always mm. end up having a discussion where I'm sort of saying, it sounds a bit like you've fallen for some bullshit here. <laughs> do, do you ever ask them, though, why are you seeing a life coach? What, how is it working out? What's the process? Or if you're training to be a life coach, what does that involve? Yeah, not as much coaching? as I should, probably. Because I'm genuinely curious. Exactly. Because my hackles are up. That's why I don't ask those questions. But the, like, if I'm honest, there's no reason that it has to be bad. And it's not my judgment to say that it is. Mm. But it does just go with someone who's been (laughs) duped or someone who's vulnerable very often. So then what do you do if you feel like your friend is being scammed? Right. I suppose you say how it looks to you and in a non-judgmental way say, am I wrong? You explore the issue, don't you? Or you ask for the breakdown of what she's getting for the $1,000 a month. Mm. Like rather than going, you're wrong, just just try and tease out the facts a bit more. And you could be like, that seems like quite a lot. Or if you saved up all of your life coach money after a year you possibly could afford to do something life-changing with that it. is probably ultimately the piece of advice isn't it maybe when you finally get to life coaching apex the solution is all that money you're spending on me put into what you really want to do ah. and then you would have a better life so give your friend a piggy bank and be like put your life coaching money in this yeah. and then in a year we'll revisit it and you'll have like 12 grand yeah. to go and do something incredible i think there's a bit of an issue here though if she's getting bought into not just receiving this wisdom but trying to dispense it herself mm. that mm. once you start getting into that conversation of like is this bullshit like you're not only questioning her beliefs you're questioning her business i think something that could be important katie is to just try to be a good friend because there's obviously something making your friends see these people but also if you're critical of what she's doing and how much she's paying then she'll probably find herself in greater alignment with them than you because they are accepting of her. And she's in deep. I mean, that's if it is a fraud, if it is a scam, you know, I made a documentary about psychics recently. This is how Uh, it works. uh, You know, you you start with a relatively harmless, here's a session for $100. By the time she's even considering paying $1,000 a month to someone plus more to someone mm, else, mm. she's in deep enough that they've already given her the defences to explain why that's the case and a whole new belief system about why it's working, if it's a fraud. Like, they're clever. If they're charlatans, they'll be clever enough, having extracted this money, to have given her the answers to your questions anyway. So... I think be very careful about saying things that would alienate your friend further because she's vulnerable and because you might just send her even more Mm. into this because they are welcoming to her. And her credit card. Right. And maybe try and spend more time with her and find out what's going on deep in her mind. Look after each other and yourselves is basically our final thought here, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Give us $1,000, please. Uh, If you have a question for the next edition of Answer Me This, we don't charge you anything for that. No. We will mentor you through whatever problem you're experiencing for free. I'm just thinking, though, how much money we would have now if everyone had to give us 10 pence. Yeah, for every question question. they send in. I know. We'd be so fucking rich. I know. (laughs) Uh, And uh, as as ever, if you would like to send us a question, all the contact details are listed on our website, answermethispodcast.com. And you can also find links to our Twitter and our Facebook to be our internet friend. And you can find links to our other work. Ollie, what does February hold 
in Ollie Mann stuff. Yes, I have five podcasts. You can discover them all at ollieman.com. But on my monthly magazine show, The Modern Man, uh, this month there's an episode called The Candidate. Uh, we have been following in a documentary style the uh, general election campaign of Leila Moran MP. Wow. Who, uh, even if you're not interested in politics, you may have come across recently when she became Britain's first openly pansexual politician recently. Yeah. But we talk about what it's like, really, to be a young female Palestinian pansexual MP in 2020, um, which, you know, is certainly something that people probably don't appreciate, like the stress of standing for public office these days. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can find it at modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Helen. Well, this month we reached the season finale of the first season of Veronica Mars in our recap podcast, Veronica Mars Investigations. And if any of you have seen that finale of season one of Veronica Mars, it is really fucking dramatic. In real life, yeah. have you got further than that? Like, have you seen all Veronica Mars, but now I've you're recapping it. it? I've seen it before. Are there any episodes you haven't seen? Yes. Right. Because they did a, an extra season last year, and I've only seen four out of eight. And now you're saving that for when you get to it in the podcast. Yeah, kind of don't feel that motivated to finish it, because I know a lot of people really hate it. <laughs> okay, that's um, not. it's probably better that you haven't seen it then. Yeah, it's good when you're doing a TV recap podcast of a show that really went off the boil in its later seasons, that you've got that to look forward to. Yeah. So season one of Veronica Mars Investigations is complete, so you can watch the whole of season one and listen along to me and Jenny Owen Young's recapping season one at vmipod.com. Very fun and interesting times. And also there's The Illusionist at theillusionist.org. Martin! Uh, well, I've got a new single out. It's called Apple Tree. Uh, it was written for the podcast The Family Tree. It's based on the oldest written piece of music, which is called The Hurrying Hymn to Nicole, who's a goddess of apple trees and or- orchards. I wonder if they performed it at the 1908 Winter Olympic Games. <laughs> they probably did. All of the music is at palebirdmusic.com. Remember as well to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts to get our free retro episode, which you only get by subscribing to the podcast feed in the middle of the month. Uh, and it being February, you may want to check out Answer oh. Me This Love as well, uh, our exclusive album about romance and sex and stuff. And then we will be back with a fresh new episode on the first Thursday of March. Bye! Bye. 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 Bye.